It's good to look out on your faces and to see some who haven't been able to be here recently are back to join with us. Glad to have you here. Praise God for you. You're in the right place. <laughs> if you're comfortable wearing a mask, feel free to do so. Our ushers do have masks available if you don't have one and would like to wear one. And if you're comfortable not wearing a mask, feel free to do that as well. We have comfortable seating. We're able to space out and keep separation if needed. Families feel comfortable sitting on the same row, and they are welcome to do that. And so we're just glad to be in the house of the Lord. We're just glad to be able to worship and to uh, praise God and to join in service and to hear his word. Let's turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 5. We'll pick up in our series through Mark and read today Mark chapter 5 in its entirety. If you don't have a Bible of your own or ushers have Bibles available, raise your hand and they'll bring one right to you that you can read and use during our service. Let's all stand together in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Gospel of Mark is a fast-paced, fast-moving reading and book. And you can see the first word I read in the ESV is then. So it's like picking up right where it left off and continuing the action. Last week we looked at the teachings of Jesus, so we took a, a little pause, and now we get right back to his action. And so let's begin reading. Then came, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out, out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs were, was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and towed it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. 
they begin to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him with earnest implored him earnestly saying my little daughter is at the point of death come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live and he went with him and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better rather grew worse she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. May God give us clear instruction from his word today. Let's take a moment as we pause in prayer to 
right where we're standing to just have a moment of prayer. After prayer, our choir will come with a song. Then our message for today, our service will conclude. <clears throat> but let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come to worship you, to fellowship with your believers, to hear your truth from your word. We pray that you will speak to us from your word today through your servant, that you would use me as a mouthpiece to communicate your truth. Help me not only to communicate it with my lips, but to live it in my life. It be a testimony of your power, of your grace, of your goodness. We pray, Lord, that today here we will get your message as you desire, and we will take it and we will live it out in our lives. We, in other words, we will live by faith. We will live by your power. And we will declare your works to all who we come in contact with. We thank you for those here today who haven't been able to come recently, that you can bring them back. We continue to pray for others who are not yet back. We pray that you allow them to come and to be reunited here. And we would pray for those who are sick and suffering. We pray for those families who are grieving, grieving the loss of a loved one. Pray that you would just continue to minister to them. Lord, we know that the hurt continues. The loss stings. But we know that you promised to take the sting out of death for those who trust you. And we look to you, Lord to grant us the grace, to grant us the strength to live through these troubling, difficult days. We might worship you, honor you, praise you, live faithfully for you until you call us to your own. We look forward to that date as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. I want you to think about the words of that song as we go through our text this morning. Points to who Jesus is. He's taught in chapter 4. His teachings are in response to the varied response to him. To those who receive his word, they hear it, they get an explanation, they understand, and they get more. To those who reject his word, and there were some who clearly reject, rejected Jesus. In fact, he shows us in his teaching that most reject, three out of four reject him. And the word is not fruitful in those hearts because of the soil, because of the condition of the heart. A condition that rejects, does not receive his word. You wonder why Jesus tells, he does a miracle and then tells people, don't go out and tell everybody that. Hold that, keep it a secret. And then in other cases, he tells the man in the Decapolis area, go, spread it abroad, tell everybody. We'll see, there's two, certain, there's two separate circumstances that he's responding to. Jesus is not doing miracles to become popular. 
He's not trying to be famous. He's speaking to people and to their hearts that they might follow him and obey him. He's not healing to make everybody well, to become popular, to become famous, to make people feel good. He's given a message of who he is so that all would hear it and trust in him. There's something more important than you, you just feeling good and being healthy. There is your faith and your eternity at stake. And Jesus is showing who he is that people might come and trust in him and have life and have eternal life and follow him. In chapter 5, we see his encounter with this man that says he comes out of the tomb. Comes out of the tombs. He lives in the graveyards. Jesus gets on a boat and he travels, it says, to the other side, the other side of the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. And on that side is a, a Gentile nation or people who are, are more Gentile-like in their living. And it's, it's the general area there is called the Decapolis. Um, and there he encounters this man. Let's look at what happens here. Immediately, it says, there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. I'm glad that the Bible gives us a clear diagnosis of what's going on, so we can see. I think this diagnosis hasn't changed today. In fact, we see more and more of it. We just think we can cover it up with drugs, with all types of things, to veil and to cover What's really happening? Well, this man has an unclean spirit, it says. And we'll go, as we go along, we'll see what this means. But let's look at his circumstances. Verse 3, he lived among the tombs. Strange, isn't it? You see people acting in funny or strange ways. There's a reason for it. You're trying to figure it out. I looked outside of my living room window this morning, and there was a woman walking up and down the same path right alongside my house. I live on a corner, so she's walking down the sidewalk back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, mumbling, speaking to herself. I don't think she was on the phone. One of my neighbors called the police. Police came and talked to her. She wasn't in her right mind. I don't think she was a threat to, 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 to us or anybody there. But it's too cold to be walk, walking out and going nowhere, not knowing who you are, where you live, what your name is. It, she needed some help. Now today, we'll say she didn't take her meds. But you need to know something. There's a spiritual thing going on here. And look what it does. 
It says, he lived among the tombs. So already his behavior is strange. But he has superhuman strength. No one could bind him, it says. Not even with a chain. They tried. It said when they would tie him up with chains and shackles, he wrenched the chains apart. says no one had the strength to subdue him. That's an important part. It tells us that, look, in this case of demonic possession, he was stronger than he normally would be or what we would expect him to be. Now, if you want to see some illustrations of that, just talk to my son, Jeremy. He, he can tell you he's encountered that kind often. And verify that that's still happening today. It just shows what's going on in this person's life. But it also shows no one had the strength to subdue him. We see that happening today, too. It's not just physically that no one had the power to subdue him. That was true. They, they, the, the change didn't do enough. But nobody had an answer to him either. In fact, in the three cases we see in this chapter, we see three cases that nobody had an answer to. There was no human answer to deal with this. It's good that we encounter these kind of things because it helps us to exhaust ourselves. Exhaust all human resources to deal with the problem. We think that if we keep growing, if we keep learning, if we get smarter, if we join in unity, we can resolve all of life's problems, and that simply is not the case. No matter what we learn, no matter what resources we put to the problem, we will not solve life's issues. There are things that are going on right now in our lives today that we do not have the answers or the resources to, and no, none of your neighbors do. Nobody else on earth does. God allows us to see this. No one was able to subdue him. Nobody had an answer to him. So we can take him to the experts, and they can examine him and diagnose him, and they can give him all sorts of treatment. Guess what? They didn't work. Not only did they not know what they were dealing with, they didn't have the power, the resources to overcome what they were dealing with. People don't want to say that today. But we'll see, as in the second case, they want you to, they want your money. I want you to pay them to keep looking into it, to keep running tests, to keep diagnosing it. You ever have a car like that? You take the one mechanic and he tell you it's this, and you go to another mechanic and he tell, oh yeah, I know what that is. And so, okay, well we got to first run it. You go to the third mechanic. Well, let us run a few tests. Is that free? Uh, no, but you know we'll apply that towards your. Your payment. And everybody wants to diagnose and diagnose and try this and fix this and replace that. In the end, you still got a broke down car. It's the computer. We got to replace that. Right. When it comes to the human diagnosis, we often don't hear, I don't know, and we can't help you. You hear, you pay enough, and we'll keep trying. 
But I'm getting to the second case now, but let's stick on the first case. It says, verse 5, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself. <laughs> A couple things we see here. The purpose of demons and demon activity is to destroy and also to intimidate. To destroy and intimidate. Crying out. You ever been in a place when somebody just cry out? You go, whoa, you crazy? You don't even want to be around that kind of person. We don't understand that. We're fearful of them. But Satan is trying to destroy. The person was cutting themselves. Why are you doing that? Doesn't make sense, does it? Bible tells us in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes for only to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Satan is pictured there. The thing we need to know is, look, Satan doesn't want anything good for you. And if there is, there's a, there's a huge trade-off. If you think you're getting something good for him, you just haven't seen the trade-off. You haven't read the fine print. He is trying to destroy your life. And he's an expert at it. The best in the world. And he's destroyed many. So don't think you can play his game and win. So in verse 7, he cries with a loud voice. He says to Jesus, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I notice in satanic activity, he doesn't necessarily uh, deny the existence or the power of God. And he calls Jesus Son of the Most High. And that's accurate. And that's true. So just because you hear some spiritual truth from a person doesn't mean it's of God. Satan speaks. Some truth. And he spoke it here and he got it right. What is his purpose? You remember the little girl that was following Paul along on his journey and kept on saying, these men are servants of the most high God. And Paul got annoyed with it. He said, why did he get annoyed with that? They kept on saying the truth. That's the truth. But he challenged that. Because it was not of God and didn't have God's purpose behind it. And so he speaks. And he says something else. I adjure you by God. I beg, I plead. Do not torment me. What does he mean there? He knew who Jesus was. He knew Jesus' power. And he knew what his fate was. He, he knew that he would end up in eternal torment because that's what God has purposed for all of Satan's uh, servants and all of Satan's beings, all of his angelic hosts, all who follow Satan will end up in the lake of fire in torment. And he's saying, I hope you're not here to send me there now. Verse 
Why did he say that, verse 8? For he was saying to him, Jesus was, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. We see a battle that was going on. Jesus had been telling this man this and, 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 and telling the spirit there, and the spirit wasn't listening for a while. There, there was a battle going on. Jesus was in battle in the spirit world with this encounter with this man. In verse 9, it says, he asked him, what's your name? He said, my name is Legion, for we are many. Legion was a term used to describe a, a, a group of soldiers that could number as many as 6,000. And so this evil spirit was saying, there's a whole bunch of us here. We've latched on in this man, looking for a host, a body, and they found one. We're not told the background of why they chose this man or how that all came about, but we're given this story so that we might see the power that Jesus displays. He steps into the spiritual realm and he uses his power and his authority that he has, he has power over everything under his creation, including Satan and all of his forces. That's good to know. I wake up at night sometimes just like you. And I'm like, God, I'm thankful for your protection. I'm reminded of the stuff that I can't see that sometimes, somehow I perceive. But in the darkness of that, I remember <laughs> Jesus. He has the power and he subdues all forces. And I belong to him. And I'm at rest and I'm at peace. It's interesting that many demons, many demonic spirits had come into this man's body. And Jesus let that be known. It's also interesting that it's not a, doesn't seem to be a fair battle, does it? Number-wise, one, Jesus, against many, 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 many spirits. But we don't even see the battle taking place. <laughs> In other words, it's, it's, it's not like the, 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 the movies where you see all the special effects and goes through this long scene and, you know, the, 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 the victor is almost down and, and then he rises up and he fights back. and You don't, you don't see all that. Jesus simply speaks. You can also see his power in verse 10. He begged him earnestly. That doesn't sound like anybody who's close to winning, does it? He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. It tells us there was a great herd of pigs that were feeding nearby. And so the spirits asked Jesus to send them to the pigs, and he gave them permission. Verse 13 is important. He gave them permission. In other words, they couldn't do it outside of his permission, 
out of his control. You may wonder, do you have to ever worry about that? Well, that depends. Who do you belong to? I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm just telling you the truth. If you belong to Jesus, if the Holy Spirit lives within you, and the Bible says all who are Jesus have the Holy Spirit in them, it's never a moment when you don't have him. He's there all the time. That was part of the, the Bible talks about an earnest, a down payment that God gave you when, he, when you became his. He says, I'm going to give you eternal life. I'm going to forgive you all your sins. I'm going to have you a place for you in heaven. And here's my down payment that all that's going to be real. Here's the Holy Spirit. And so he's given that to us. And demons cannot come in to where the Holy Spirit resides. We're protected that way, and thank God that we are. But the truth is, if you don't know Christ, you have no protection. I don't say that to scare you, because that's not even the scariest thing. What the demon can do is cause you to suffer, yes, physically, but all, all he can do is try to hasten your death so that the real scary thing comes, and that's eternity. Jesus gives them permission. They go into a herd of pigs, and the Bible tells us there was about 2,000 pigs in that herd, and suddenly they rushed down a steep bank into the sea and drowned into the sea. This gives us a picture of Jesus' dominance over the satanic world and their end. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that they, all of them, Satan and all of his hosts, will be turned into the lake of fire for all of eternity. Here these pigs, demon-possessed, all rush down into the sea. Jesus is letting us know what's going to happen. He's letting us know where his power resides, that we can see clearly his, his, his power on display. We also see the reaction, verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. People came to see what it was that had happened. What would they see? Probably a bunch of pigs floating up on the shore that had been drowned in the sea. That's one thing they would see. They would see herdsmen just talking and upset because why? Uh, you know, obviously, they lost uh, uh, their, their, their profits from those pigs. What's something else they would see? Verse 15, they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the man who had had the legion. I like those two hats together. He had had. <laughs> this is past tense. Once upon a time, he was demon-possessed. Now he wasn't. And what did he look like now? Remember before, he looked like a man living in a strange place, living outside, living in the graveyards, cutting himself on a superhuman strength, and now what does he look like? First of all, his posture, he's sitting. <laughs> I ever notice that? I always talk about people in church, just always getting up, running everywhere. Sit down. Why? It shows submission in God's power and rest. I'm ready to hear what God has to say. I'm sitting. He's calm. 
And I want to talk to somebody and I want them to calm down and I want to speak to them. Maybe I want to counsel, maybe I want to share something. Oftentimes I will sit down and let them know I am at ease. When I have to confront a situation, I'm standing up and I'm at the ready. This man is sitting down. <laughs> it's like his whole spirit went. I wonder how they even recognized him now, you know? Kind of reminds me of the Hulk. Now his little pants is all torn at the bottom, you know? He's come down to his human self now. <laughs> he ain't green no more. <laughs> Face him shrunk a little bit. All right, but he's sitting down, what else? Clothed. Kind of hints that um, before he wasn't always clothed. <laughs> I, I laugh, but you see that. And, and that, that is, is that people who are under um, satanic influence act in strange ways. And one of the indicators is they, they don't want to wear no clothes. They've made songs about it, right? It's getting hot in here. You know, I'm going to take off all my clothes. It's, it's like, okay, you're just showing how crazy you are. Everybody knows same people wear clothes. The opposite is also true. Somebody start taking off their clothes, you're like, okay, I'm finna leave because it's getting crazy in here. He was clothed. He had clothes on. He looked like a regular, normal person. And it says he was in his right mind. In his right mind. That was easy to see. A big contrast between where he was and how he acts now. But look at the people's response. Isn't that puzzling? Now they're afraid. What? Now you're afraid? The man looks better than he ever did. He's sitting down. He's calm. He's clothed. He's peaceful. He's speaking. It ain't like he opened his mouth and all these strange voices come out. No, he's speaking peacefully. He's in his right mind, and they afraid. Everybody looking at him like he's crazy. He used to be crazy. No, he ain't crazy no more. He's in his right mind. Verse 17, they, be, they begin to beg Jesus to depart from their region. It's like you, you can tell people not comfortable with something they don't understand, and, and, and I get it. But what they should have been uncomfortable with is the first state of the man, not the second. The world often reacts to wrong things. You ever had that? You know, you, you, you've had that when, when you first got saved and you start telling your family and they thought you was crazy. They, they're like, okay, we'll see how long this lasts, right? You remember that reaction? I had the same reaction. I remember telling people at college, look, I'm not living no fake life no more. I'm I'm living for Christ 100%. They thought I was crazy. 
I remember uh, in, in my career as an engineer, I was telling people, look, you know, um, I'm going to school to be a pastor. And then that, you know, that was kind of strange, okay. But then, then when it came to the, to, the, to the clincher, I'm quitting my job. <laughs> I'm going to be, are you, my boss, like, called me in his office. You know, are you crazy? Have you looked at your check? Have you looked at your benefits? Are you crazy? The world responds to us because they don't understand. But let them keep looking. They don't get it. But God uses that to get their attention, to get his message. They beg Jesus to leave. And he left. As he was leaving, the man wanted to go with him. But then Jesus says, no, no, no. I want you to stay here. Go home, is verse 19. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. He was in the Gentile area, and Jesus wanted the word to go out to them as well. When he was in the land of Israel... He was already quite popular. He was not trying to raise his fame. He was trying to expose people to the truth, and they were coming in from all kinds of places just, to, just because they were fascinated. And he, he was telling them, no, 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 no don't, don't spread that around. He wanted people to come to him for right reasons, for the right heart. The next section is two encounters. Jesus heals a woman, and we also see him healing Jairus' daughter. Notice again, verse 21, a great crowd gathered. Now, he had gone back across to the other side of the sea, and as soon as he gets off the boat, a great crowd gathers again. You'll, you'll see a lot of these encounters are by the sea, aren't they? Jesus gets, he gets off the boat, and as soon as he gets there, there's just like a crowd waiting for him, and that's, that's a great place for him to speak and, and to talk, because in one case, you know, he was in the boat and people were on the sea, and so that was just a good platform for him without the crowds pressing on him to, to speak, and he would use the acoustics that the water provide to project his voice and, and to speak that way. And here he was again back at the shore and speaking to a great crowd. And from this crowd comes a ruler from the synagogue, a man named Jairus. And he tells Jesus, my daughter is at the point of death. But he says this, come and lay your hand on her so that she may be made well and live. As he's going, it mentions a great crowd again in verse 24. And it mentions the fact that they're thronged about him. In other words, they're, they're getting so close to him, they're pressing on him. Why is this important? Because in this crowd that's pressing, there's this woman who's been sick for 12 years. Uh, she, she has this case, this disease, and it, it tells us a little bit about her. But first it tells her that she came, she heard reports about Jesus, verse 27. So the word has spread about who this Jesus was and the power that he had and the, the authority that he had over demons, over disease, 
and later we see over death. She had heard reports and she comes and she says in her mind, if I can just touch him, I'll be well. What faith, what faith she has. And that's exactly what she did. She touched just his garment, it says. She must have struggled through the crowd. She must have made her way to get all the way close next to Jesus and just enough to just touch him. And she felt, that's enough. That's all I need. I don't got to tell him about my problem. I don't have to give him the whole thing. If I could just touch him, I'll be well. That's exactly what she did. It said, verse 29, immediately. This is before Jesus had any interaction with her. Immediately, the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her diseases. And here's a strange thing. Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? <laughs> and the disciples said, well, why would you do that in a crowd like this? You expect, you know, bunches of people have touched you. But he did that for a reason. He exposes this woman so that the truth will be revealed and God will be glorified by what happened because it wasn't coincidental and it wasn't an accident. And so he says, who touched me? And the disciples re responded. They're like, how do we know? Everybody touched you, Jesus. What are you talking about? And Jesus said, no, no, no. Something happened here. And I'm going to slow down. Mm -mm. By the way, Jairus has been pressing him. Can you imagine Jairus and saying, hey, come on, let's keep going. My, my daughter, I told you, not only is she sick, she's at the point of death. Come on, can, can y'all just move out the way? Can we keep going? Can we keep walking here? Jesus said, no, stop. Somebody touched me. There's a lesson here. Jesus makes a point of revealing what this woman has done. He looked around, verse 30, 32. The woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Now, he knew the whole truth. He wanted others to hear. He wanted those there to hear. And so she explains the whole truth. What is this truth? Verse 26, verse 25. A woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. <clears throat> it says, verse 26, she has suffered much under many physicians. So she had a diagnosis and treatment, didn't work. Diagnosis, treatment, didn't work. Diagnosis, treatment, didn't work. She had been round and round, 12 years worth. Nothing worked. Again, we're given a case where nobody, there is no remedy that anybody can bring. With the man demon-possessed, everybody tried, but nobody could subdue him. With this woman, all the best of the land had given their best. She had paid all that she could to get all 
the medical treatment that she could, 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 could drum up, she could pay for, none of it worked. It says, in fact, she had spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And so she turns to Jesus. I like that story because at the, at the end of her rope, now she comes and turns to Jesus. That's all right. That's good to do. Because <laughs> Jesus is waiting for her. He could have just kept walking and know that she got healed, but he makes a point of stopping and making this known. And so she tells the whole story so that we would know today and others would know Jesus worked where nothing else worked. He has the power because he has power over all of his creation, the physical realm and the spiritual realm, and even death itself. Jesus has that power. And so he says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Now, some would take that, that you just got to have faith, and whatever faith you have will make you well. No, that's not the point here. The point is she literally touched Jesus. She didn't just get well because she thought of this idea. She touched Jesus. She simply believed, her faith was believing that Jesus had power to heal her, and if she can come in contact with him in some way, that will be conveyed to her. That was her faith. But it was, it was in Jesus. It wasn't somebody else, one of his apostles, the disciples, or another doctor somewhere. It was Jesus that her faith was targeted towards. It was not faith by itself. Everybody has faith in something. The question is, is your faith in the one who actually has the power to help you? And that's God, and that's God alone. And that's shown through his son, Jesus, and Jesus alone. So while this happened, some people came and said, Jarius, man, we got bad news. Your daughter is dead. Very frank statement. No need for you to trouble the teacher any longer. She's dead. Now, they wouldn't say that if it wasn't true and it hadn't been verified. You don't bring a person bad news. This man is going out all that he could. He's left his sick daughter at home because he realizes the only hope for her is if he can get to Jesus and bring him back. And when he saw them approaching, I would imagine he, he's like, oh, no. This can't be good. This can't be good news. And they tell him. Jesus overhears this conversation. And he says this, do not fear, only believe. He takes with him Peter, James, and John. And this men and those who were with him. Now, I don't know how they got away from the crowd. <laughs> It's kind of interesting, but it's kind of a side note kind of interesting. But they, they, they went back to this man's home, and then they see a commotion going on. You can imagine.
People were grieving. His child had died. But Jesus says, the child is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. What is he saying there? He's saying, look, in my hands, death is of no more consequence than sleep is. Just like you can touch somebody and wake them up, I can touch them and bring them to life. He's saying, you got to see my power to do what only I can do. I can do that. Now, we would ask today, can Jesus do these things today? The answer is certainly yes. And he does even more than that. Jesus is displaying his power so that we might trust him. Not just trust him for, for paying the bills next week. We can trust him for that. Not just trust him for the diagnosis we get from the doctor. We can trust him in that. We don't know all of God's purpose and all God's will, but we know Jesus has the power. He is Lord over all of creation, and he has power. If he then or since he then has that power, he also has the power and the authority to save us and to deliver us from sin now and to preserve us for his kingdom. He's doing that to show us that he's in control and he has that power. And so he wants us to trust in him. He walks back to this man's house. It's a small group and he's intentionally made it small. He says, he put them, verse 40, he put them all outside, took the child's father and mother, those who were with him, that is, Peter, James, and John, and they went in where the child was. He takes her by the hand and touches her again, takes her by the hand. She's dead. Her hand is just a flop. But by the hand, he says, young girl, get up. And it says, immediately. Immediately, the girl got up and began walking. She was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. Jesus didn't heal this girl. He brought her back from life, from death to life. He raised her from the dead. So we see three cases in this chapter. Jesus displays his power where there was no other remedy. The demon-possessed man, nobody could control him. And when Jesus did, they were amazed and fearful. The woman with the issue... For 12 years, no doctors could give a remedy. She went by faith to Jesus and touched him, and she was healed. This little 12-year-old girl was sick and died. Nobody else could remedy. Jesus comes and touches her 
and draws her, brings her back to life. Jesus has authority over all of creation. The demon-possessed world does not defy him. Sickness and disease does not defy him. And death speaks and answers to him. He has authority in all of life. And he's calling us to see him for who he is and to worship him, to praise him, to submit to him, to bow down to him and say, you are all that. You deserve my life. You deserve my glory. You deserve my faith. You deserve my praise. You deserve my commitment. I give myself to you because you are the real deal. I will say to you today, if you found anybody greater, serve him. But you won't. So you must serve Jesus. There's none greater. There's none more deserving. And he displays that for our good. Think about the demon-possessed man is now at peace in his right mind. He's got his life back. <laughs> the woman with the disease felt immediately that relief of healing. And this man whose daughter was surely dying and eventually did die now has his daughter back. How would they feel towards Jesus is what we ought to feel towards Jesus today because he's forgiven us of our sin. He's given us new life. He has the power to intervene in all of life's circumstances because of who he is. We come and we worship him. We give our lives to him. Father, we thank you for opening our eyes to this Jesus. We pray that you would help us to see clearly who he is. That we worship none but him. That we give our lives and surrender ourselves to him. While the world is in amazement and sometimes even in anger, as how of what his work does and shows them up to be phonies and shows them up to just want to benefit from man's calamity and man's hardships. Jesus shows himself to be the one and only who is able and willing to deliver his people. So we thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that as a result, we would give ourselves to him, surrender and worship and serve him with all of our hearts. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.